And every one of the members of the Prophets Club would agree with you, Wendy. Um, These prophets of old, Samuel, Nathan, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Micaiah, and today Hosea, men who God used to speak for him in their world, among their people, at their time, in their culture. And it was the same God as Wendy is singing about this morning. The same God who reached down and saved many of us from our sin and from the wrath to come. Same God. He's real. And so we continue uh, learning about those prophets, those men of old who God used to speak truth. Uh, His megaphones to his people. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. It's right after Daniel. You might be familiar with where the book of Daniel is. Uh, Hosea follows Daniel. Hosea may not be one of the more familiar prophets to us, like maybe Jeremiah or Isaiah or Elijah, some of those. But uh, God used him. God used him uh, at a difficult time. God used him to present a a difficult message, but also a message of hope and restoration. And uh, we're going to look at what that is. So, Hosea, I think that gave you some time to find it. Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to see some uh, information that sets Hosea our prophet for today, into history. All right? It says, The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. Now we get some historical information there that places uh, the prophet Hosea for us. Israel had been divided into two kingdoms by this time. There was the northern kingdom called Israel. And you'll see here that Hosea ministered during the reign of Jeroboam, king of Israel. So it was during that king's reign that Hosea ministered. It also tells us that down in the southern kingdom called Judah, When Hosea was ministering, four kings were reigning, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. As we go into the book of Hosea, we'll find out that he was specifically in the northern kingdom. He was ministering to God's people up in Israel um, under the, the reign of Jeroboam. The other thing we find out, because the kings of Judah at that time are named, those four kings are the exact same kings named in the first verse of the book of Isaiah. And so we find, based on that, that Hosea was a contemporary of Isaiah. And when Isaiah was down in the southern kingdom of Judah, speaking for God, Hosea was up in the northern kingdom. So... Those of us who are looking at Isaiah 
every Wednesday night. Uh, today we're looking at a prophet who was his contemporary, only up in the northern kingdom of Israel. <clears throat> and we're going to uh, not look at all 14 chapters of Hosea. We're just going to um, uh, summarize his ministry. But we also want to see the humanity of this man. He was a real man. These prophets were real men, had real experiences, and uh, we're going to take a look at that as well. But let's pray first. Oh, Father, we thank you for uh, the good time of worship so far, of coming to you in prayer. Uh, What a blessing, Lord, to be reminded that you are real, that that there is no God other than you, uh, that all the creations of this world are false, that you are the only God. And thank you, Father, for reaching down to us and uh, helping us to learn and grasp and receive that truth and to receive your Son, Jesus, that we might call you Father, the only God. And now, Lord, as we uh, look at another one of your servants who spoke for you back in history, uh, Father, help us to get familiar with him. But, Lord, I pray that Hosea's message and his experiences would, in some ways, give us important things to think about and maybe act on. We just ask you to move, speak in any way you please. In Christ's name, amen. As I've been looking at these different prophets, one of the things I've noticed is that uh, there were prophets that God had to do some pretty unique things as part of their ministry. Uh, God would have them do unusual things, and it seems like those unusual things always um, help to illustrate the message that they were to give to the people. And, of course, we all know that a lot of times illustrations are good, object lessons are good, um, Many people are visual, and uh, so even back then, God would have his prophets uh, use illustrations and visuals to go along with their messages. But for them, it was a collection of some really unique, unusual things. Uh, I made a list of them there on your sheet. Uh, These are just some examples. Uh, Prophet Jeremiah There was a time when God told him to get this linen belt and to wear it around his waist. And shortly after Jeremiah started wearing this linen belt, God told him to take it off and go hide it under this pile of rocks for a period of time. And then later, God had him go dig up this linen belt. And of course, it was in terrible shape. It was um, decaying and dirty. And God said, this will be an example in your message to my people of how because they are not fulfilling the purpose I gave them, they are useless. The idea that this linen belt had a purpose to be worn around the waist, but because It wasn't being used for its purpose and was being hidden. It was useless. 
And he had Jeremiah go through that to illustrate this message, that his people had rebelled and strayed from his purpose for them, and they had become useless. Uh, Another time, Jeremiah was told to go purchase a clay jar at the market. And then he was to go out to the gate uh, where there was a crowd of people, and he was to smash that clay jar before them on the ground. And the reason for that was it was an illustration of the judgment that God was going to bring against his people. They were going to be smashed. Another time, you can almost picture this, poor Jeremiah, he he was quite a submissive guy. God told him to walk around wearing a yoke. Can you picture a yoke that typically were on a couple of oxen? Okay. God told Jeremiah to go around wearing a yoke. Would you do that? In public? Maybe for Halloween. But Jeremiah was just to walk around and and, uh, do his ministry with this yoke on him. Why? Because God wanted it to illustrate the message that Jeremiah was giving to the people of Jerusalem, that the day was coming when Babylon would conquer the city and they would wear a yoke of bondage to the Babylonians. And so that being the message, he instructed Jeremiah to illustrate it by wearing this yoke. Another time, Jeremiah was told to go buy a field. So he went and purchased this field, and God told him, make sure you get all the right papers, uh, whatever they looked like in that day, and keep them in an in a envelope of, or something. And the idea of that was, that then as he went out and not only talked about the judgment of Jerusalem, but that the day would come when they'd be restored after all those years in uh, Babylon, that they would be able to come back again to their nation and start buying fields. And, And Jeremiah went and bought a field and had the papers as an illustration that the day would come when Israel again would be able to buy fields and God would restore them. Ezekiel was a prophet whom we will not be talking about in this series, but he was asked one time to build a model of Jerusalem, a little model of the city of Jerusalem. So he builds this model, and then God instructed him to spend time every day laying on his side next to that model. And he had to spend part of 300 and some days laying there by this model of Jerusalem. And every day he laid there by the model of Jerusalem represented one year of the people's sin and rebellion and disobedience. So can you imagine Ezekiel every day for about a year He's got to go spend some time laying by this model on the floor. But again, it was was an illustration of the judgment God was going to bring against his people and how the enemy 
Babylon would come and siege, lay siege around the city and eventually conquer them. But an illustration that the prophet was asked to be a part of. Another time, Ezekiel was asked by God to take a sword and shave his head and his beard. Not a razor, but a sword. And so Ezekiel did it. He shaved his head with the sword and his beard with the sword. And then God said, take the hair from your head and from your beard and divide it evenly into three parts, three piles. And each pile was going to represent something. One-third of his hair represented the fact that one-third of the people of Jerusalem would be killed by the sword when the Babylonians came. The second third of his hair was to represent the third of the people of Jerusalem that were going to die from starvation as a result of the Babylonian siege around the city. And the other third of his hair was to represent the remnant that would be spared and eventually come back to Jerusalem. And Ezekiel did it. Shaved his head and his beard with the sword and took that hair and put it in three piles. It became an illustration of both judgment for their sins, but also eventual restoration. And then there's Hosea, the man we're going to look at today. Hosea was instructed by the Lord to marry an unfaithful woman who would be unfaithful to him, would end up committing adultery, leaving him. But God said, I want you to go marry that woman. And it became an illustration of the message that Hosea would give to his people. Really interesting. And it seems like there were two purposes in this. First of all, it was an illustration of how God had entered this covenant with Israel, in a sense, been married to them. Uh, You know, Scripture talks a lot about the word picture of marriage in the Old Testament. Israel, God. Israel like the wife. God like the husband. And so the message that Hosea was going to present is that you entered, you people of Israel, you entered this covenant with God married him in that sense. But you've been unfaithful. You've committed adultery. You've gone to other gods. You've strayed from the one who entered this covenant with you. And Hosea is instructed to go marry an unfaithful woman and actually experience that as he prepares to give this message to Israel. The other thing that I've been thinking about is that what this was going to do for Hosea 
it was going to give Hosea a sense for what God was going through. It was going to give Hosea an experience where in some way he could understand the heart of God. What it's like to covenant with someone and enter this love relationship. And then have that someone betray you and prefer others and go to others, leave you. Hosea was going to experience in this marriage with this woman that kind of betrayal, that kind of rejection, that kind of unfaithfulness. He will know what it feels like. And in some sense, when he begins to share God's message with the people that that's what they've done to him. In Hosea sharing that message, there's going to be a depth of understanding, a depth of feeling that goes along with him sharing that message. And then, of course, if you're familiar with the book of Hosea and his ministry, you know that God then eventually has Hosea go find this woman and welcome her back. This unfaithful, adulterous woman. God has Hosea go and welcome her back. And he even has to pay for her because her choice has led her into slavery. And he has to pay to get his wife back. And that becomes an illustration in Hosea's message that, yes, God is going to judge his people because of their spiritual adultery. But eventually there will be restoration and he'll welcome them back because of the depth of his love for them and the promises that he made to them. And so Hosea, when he gives that message, will have an understanding there of the heart of God the grace of God, the depth of his love, and the commitment he has to his promises. Hosea will have experienced a measure of that. So let, let's look at the text and just kind of summarize how this happens, how Hosea is prepared to give this message, and then he gives the message. In Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, so at the beginning of his ministry, the Lord said to him, Go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So you can see he's saying, This is going to be an illustration of what my people have done to me. Verse 3. So he married Gomer. That was her name daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And it goes on to talk about three children. And the first one is called Jezreel. And God tells Hosea to name this boy Jezreel, verse 4, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre of Jezreel, and I'll put an end to the kingdom of Israel. So give your son the name Jezreel, it means God plants. 
And it's going to be a reminder that God is going to plant his judgment on Israel for their unfaithfulness. Then there's a daughter, verse 6. And the Lord says, call her Lo-Ruhamah. For I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that, it should, that I should at all forgive him. I will show love to the house of Judah, the southern kingdom. But Israel's time has come. So name the daughter Lo-Ruhamah. It means no love, no longer love. Then there's another son, verse 8. And in verse 9, the Lord says, Call this boy Lo-Ami, for you are not my people. I am not your God. Give this son the name Lo-Ami, because Israel is no longer my people, not my people. And so the names of these three become uh, a part of the message that God has had enough and there will be judgment on Israel for their unfaithfulness, for their spiritual adultery, for their betrayal, for their rejection of him, despite their covenant relationship. Then if you come to chapter 3, you get the idea that somewhere in here, though it's not uh, mentioned in the fact of being part of the narrative, in her unfaithfulness and adultery, Gomer leaves Hosea. And she goes to other men. But in chapter 3, the Lord says to Hosea, notice verse 1, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. See, it's an illustration. And he says in verse 2, so I bought her. I bought her. She must have ended up in slavery because of her choices to reject and go away and get involved in adultery. So I bought her, and he tells for how much. In verse 3, then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord. So again, it's an illustration. So isn't isn't it interesting that to prepare Hosea to give a message, a message of judgment to God's people for their adultery, spiritual adultery, leaving him for other gods, rejecting him, disobeying him, being unfaithful to him, that in order for Hosea to be prepared to give that message, the Lord has him actually marry an unfaithful woman, an adulteress, who eventually leaves him for other men. But then, out of a deep, gracious love, Hosea is asked to bring her back and even be willing to pay to bring his wife back. And once this has happened to Hosea personally, 
it seems like now he's ready to go bring this message to Israel. And the message is, God entered a covenant with you. It was an intimate covenant. It was an eternal covenant. He loves you deeply. He made promises to you. He took care of you. He blessed you. He delivered you on and on. And you were unfaithful. For years and years, you were unfaithful. And yet the day is coming when after he has judged you for your unfaithfulness, you will face consequences out of the depth of his love. And to keep his promises, he will welcome you back. And Hosea gets to go share that message, having experienced it to some degree personally, <clears throat> knowing what it's like to be rejected, knowing what it's like to be betrayed, knowing what it's like to have someone you've entered into covenant with and love leave you and be unfaithful and want somebody else. But also knowing what it's like to have grace and love to welcome them back despite what they did. He goes to give that message from God, having a personal understanding of what that would be like. To at least to some little degree know what the heart of God must have been like as he addressed the unfaithfulness of Israel. Amazing. So he goes... And the rest of the book of Hosea is the prophet giving that message to this adulterous nation who had rejected God and gone to other gods. And there seems to be uh, three things that come up in, in his message about their unfaithfulness. That they have been complacent about their commitment to God. They didn't take it seriously. They were very complacent about this covenant that they'd entered with God. They looked for satisfaction elsewhere. They weren't satisfied with God. And so they went to gods of other countries and began to worship them to get their satisfaction. And third, they went through a time, Hosea says, where you thought you could have it both ways. You thought you could go off and worship these other gods and be unfaithful to the God who covenanted with you. But you also thought that at the same time you could keep offering the sacrifices. You could keep going through the motions with God. And Hosea will say, you can't do that. You can't have it both ways. You can't betray him. You can't reject him and go off to other gods, but at the same time go through the motions with him. He's a jealous God. You can't have it both ways. And so as you read the book of Hosea, those things come out. You've gotten complacent in your commitment. You don't take it seriously. You haven't been satisfied with God, so you're going after other gods to be satisfied. And you think you can have it both ways. And that's kind of his message. 
And because of that, you're going to be judged. There's going to be judgment. Uh, Take a look at chapter 7. Verse 13, this would be just one of the places where this judgment is, is mentioned. 7.13, he says, Woe to them because they have strayed from me. Destruction to them because they have rebelled against me. I long to redeem them, but they speak lies against me. They do not cry out to me from their hearts, but wail upon their beds. They gather together for grain and new wine, but they turn away from me. I train them and strengthen them, but they plot evil against me. That's what they've done. And then chapter 11, 1 to 7. Chapter 11, 1. He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals. They burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with the cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt? And will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? Swords will flash in their cities, will destroy the bars of their gates and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me, even if they call to the Most High. He will by no means exalt them. Hosea says, you will be judged. And he tells them how. Assyria, the nation of Assyria will come and take your nation. And it will happen. Assyria will come and take Samaria, the capital. And uh, people of the northern kingdom of Israel will be conquered. Many of them will go to Assyria as captives. Just what Hosea is prophesying. There will be judgment because you left God. You were unfaithful, spiritually adulterous. But there will be restoration. Uh, A sample of that, chapter 14. Hosea's message, remember in his experience, there was the rejection and the unfaithfulness and the adultery and the leaving And then Gomer apparently experienced a lot of consequences. She ended up being a slave. But then in Hosea's experience, there was this depth of love that caused him to go and take her back, even pay for her to come back. And so in Hosea's message, there is that part from God. There will be a restoring. And here's one place where he mentions it. 14.1, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins. Receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. Then God says, I will heal your waywardness and I will love you freely. For my anger has turned away. Hosea's message is there will be judgment for your unfaithfulness. You will face the consequences. But eventually God in his deep love for you to keep his promise, he will take you back. He'll bring you back. And there'll be forgiveness and grace and compassion. But I just find it so interesting 
that before Hosea gave that message, he had to experience it to a degree personally. So that when he gave the message, and I'll say it again, in some way he understood the heart of God. What it was like to be betrayed, rejected after you loved so deeply and, and, and made such a covenant. And then to have this person go off to somebody else. But then to have enough love and grace to welcome them back and invite them back. And so when he presents that message to Israel, he's got some understanding. It's not just words that he's giving to them. He's experienced it on a certain level. And he has a sense for God's heart because of that. That's Hosea. Now, you're going to have to read the whole book in order to check out what I've just said. But that seems to be the account of Hosea. He's prepared by God to give this message so that he has a personal experience to help him understand the heart of God. And then he gives this message of judgment for those who have betrayed, who have been unfaithful, who have gone to other gods, but also the message that God has a deep love for you and he made promises to you. And although he he judged you, he is going to welcome you back and forgive you. That day will come. That's Hosea. I think Hosea, his experiences and his message that he gave to Israel contains some things that should cause us to think today, should cause us to examine our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have something to write with, I encourage you to write these down. Three things that I think Hosea's experience and message should cause us to think about, to examine. Number one, we need to examine the seriousness of our love relationship with God. You see, we've entered a new covenant, right? It's called salvation. We've entered this new covenant through Jesus' work on the cross. We have entered this covenant with God. It's like a marriage. I've told you this before, but when I have had the privilege of sitting with somebody, when they commit their lives to Christ, I feel like the best man at a wedding. Because I feel like I am right there next to them when they say their I do's to God and he says his I do's to them. And they enter this intimate covenant relationship because of what Jesus did. I feel like the best man. It's like a marriage. And I think the story of Hosea and his experience and his message should get us examining whether or not we are really taking seriously this love relationship we've entered with God through trusting Jesus. We're involved in a covenant. You know, yesterday we were in Grand Rapids... Uh, for a wedding. It was the wedding of uh, the daughter of our nephew, which is real interesting. That means she's a grand something. And if she has a baby in the next two years, we've got to add a great to the grand. And 
what does that say about us? I mean, we were talking about that at Home Depot uh, before we got the call that gave us some good news. Um, but, uh, you know, once again, I was sitting there listening and watching and realizing this covenant, this serious covenant that this young man and woman were entering into, the things they were saying to each other, the promises they were making to each other, the depth and the length of those promises. Marriage is an amazing covenant. And God uses that as an illustration of our relationship with Christ. He's the groom. We're the bride. Do we take that relationship seriously? How seriously do we take that? I think we all need to examine that. How serious are we? A lot of Christians do not take their relationship with Christ very serious. You can tell by the way they live. You can tell by the way they talk. You can tell by the way they make decisions. You can tell by the way they handle trials. That they don't take their relationship with Jesus, that covenant, that love covenant, seriously. So I think Hosea... uh, because of his experience and then the message from God to the people that he gave, gets us thinking about our relationship with the Lord and how serious are we. Or are we complacent like Israel? Secondly, we need to think about the danger of flirting around. I think that's a good word. We Christians do not understand the danger of flirting if we are using the word picture God has given us of this love covenant relationship with God called salvation, this relationship we have, if we don't take it seriously and understand how important that relationship is and how serious it is, we will find ourselves flirting around. Just like the Israelites, starting to look other places for satisfaction. Other places other than in a relationship with Christ. Things, people, ideas, philosophies, they're all out there. They want to flirt with us. But so often, we don't realize the danger and we start flirting with things outside our relationship with God. Paul talked about that in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Maybe you should turn there. 2 Corinthians 11, 3. One of the few times Paul admitted to being afraid. He says in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. He says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He uses marriage terms. You see that? It's almost like I was Cupid in your lives. I was the best man. I introduced you to Jesus. 
I was there when you married him. I was there when you said your I do's and committed your life to him. But now I'm afraid. I'm afraid that Satan is going to work on your minds and you're going to start flirting around. It happens. It happens. And we need to think about that. The danger of flirting around as Christians. That's what Israel did. They started flirting around with other nations, other gods, and they ended up worshiping those gods. Flirting can lead to adultery. Flirting can lead to unfaithfulness, spiritually. We need to be careful about that. And third, uh, I think Hosea's experience and message causes us to examine the depth of God's love and commitment for us. I mean, just think about how Israel treated God. Think about what they did. Think about their wickedness. Think about God having to watch them bow before some image of Baal. Think about what it felt like for God to watch people in Israel sacrifice their own children to Baal. After he had made this covenant with them and loved them so deeply. And yet he was willing to bring them back. Yes, they had to face the consequences. He's a holy, just God. They were judged. But in the end, he brings them back. And says, I love you. I made a commitment to you. Come back. I want you back. We need to think about the depth of God's love for us. Friends, if you've been flirting around, if you've, you've actually uh, committed spiritual adultery, you know, James says friendship with the world is adultery. You start loving the world, James in chapter 4 says that's adultery. You're being unfaithful to God by loving the world. And yet God says, come back. I love you. I made a commitment to you. I'll forgive you. Come back. You've got to think about the depth of his love and his commitment. So, um, that would be a very uh, quick summary of Hosea and his ministry. How God prepared him for that ministry and then actually him giving that message and how the preparation personally must have really impacted how he presented that message because he had some understanding of the heart of God in giving that message. A message about God's holiness and justice and judgment, but a message about the depth of God's love and his commitment that he would bring back an unfaithful adulterous nation. In Revelation chapter 2, um, Jesus is talking to some churches at that time. and When he's speaking to the church at Ephesus, one of the things he says to them is, you've lost your first love. Okay, whatever that means. You've lost your first love. There was something about their love at one time 
that wasn't there anymore. You've lost it. And what does he say they should do? He says, remember what it was like. Remember from where you have fallen. Remember what it was like before you lost your first love. Second, he says, repent. Remember what it was like and repent of the choices you made to get to where you are now. And then he says, return. Come back. Come back to the way it was. And there Jesus is talking to a church, a group. But I think it's very relevant to individuals who have this relationship with Jesus, this love relationship called salvation. And for some reason, we find ourselves straying and leaving that first love that we had with him. And we've gone off other directions. And yet, he loves us so much, he's saying, come back. Remember what it was like when you were close to me? Remember what it was like when we were enjoying this love relationship? Remember that. Repent. Acknowledge what you've done to to stray from me and come back. He's always ready for you to come back. That's the depth of his love and the depth of his commitment. Maybe this morning you need to come back. He will welcome you if you come back. He will. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for these prophets who were so committed to you that they would submit to your instructions, to the T. And some of them, Lord, did things that would have been so hard to do. They did things that it would have been so easy to question you on. And yet, Father, they obeyed. And it helped them with their messages. It helped them communicate your heart, your words to your people. And, Father, Hosea is one of them. And, and, and yet, Lord, as hard as it must have been for him, and what he went through, it must have helped him in presenting that message out of a of an understanding of your heart, Lord, to some degree. And Father, I thank you. Thank you that you're a holy, just God. And I thank you that you are a deeply loving, covenant-keeping God. That you're forgiving and you're gracious. And I pray, Lord, if there's someone here who needs to come back, they haven't taken their relationship with you seriously, it's led to flirting around, and falling in love with this world and the things of this world. Father, I pray that you would just allow them to hear your call to come back, your gracious, gracious, compassionate, forgiving call, and that they would come back and enjoy that loving relationship again. That's our desire, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.